Volume 5 of a series says a lot. Longtime listeners know that we've crafted about a dozen series over almost four years of weekly podcasting here at Rule Breaker Investing. We have our five stock samplers, like the one featured on last week's show, Five Stocks for the Age of Miracles. We have our Great Quotes series. We have the Market Cap Game Show. We have Mental Tips, Tricks, and Life Hacks. And we go back to these series now and again, Volume 1, 2, 3, 4, or like today, 5. Volume 5 of a series says a lot that you like it enough and we like it enough to keep it going. And that's certainly true of our topic for this series, and that's workplace culture. You know, basically what it's like to work here or there. Do they treat people well? Is there an important sense of purpose? What traits or rituals are unique to that workplace? And this matters not just to you if you're a working professional, but it matters to all of us as investors. So, joining me this week for their fifth appearance on this series, longtime culture collaborators and connoisseurs, Kara Chambers and Lee Burbage present 10 Ways Our Motley Fool Culture Breaks the Rules, and You and Yours Should Too. This episode of Rule Breaker Investing is brought to you by Motley Fool Rule Breakers. That's right, if you're ready to learn how to take control of your financial future, then you're ready for Motley Fool Rule Breakers. Our average Rule Breakers recommendation has returned 163% over the last 15 years. The S&P 500, well, only 71%. So go to joinrb.fool.com to learn more. That's joinrb.fool.com. Returns as of April 2019. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. All right, welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing, and it's my delight to show off two of my favorite fools. They're coming back for their fifth time on the show, four years running. Kara Chambers and Lee Burbage, team, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I'm really so happy to have you back. Now, we do have some listeners who've literally listened to every podcast, so they'll remember Kara and Lee. But for those many new listeners, I think we last did this a year ago this month, talking about how to make our workplaces better. And maybe The Motley Fool has some tips or some challenges for you if you're an entrepreneur or somebody who is maybe head of HR, somebody who's driving culture at any one of the many Motley workplaces out there in the world at large. Maybe we have something for you. But Kara, could you just briefly share who you are, how long you've been at The Fool, and maybe what your Motley is? Sure. Uh, my name is Kara. I work on the people team. I've been here for about 13 years. Um, my motley is there's an app for that because I love technology uh, and I like finding out new innovative ways to do things. Um, I started my career here as a recruiter and moved into organizational development and I do a lot of our coaching and feedback and compensation and service. And we're going to talk about some of that coming mm -hmm. up, all really important topics and a motley array of things for you to have your mind on every day and weekday here at the office, maybe even sometimes the weekends, too. It all ties together. Lee Burbage. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. I've been here about a little over 20 years. Uh, mostly, I sit in awe of all the amazing things that Kara does. Um, but I work with her on making sure people love coming to work, and they're happy coming to work, and they're doing things uh, that they enjoy that create value for the company. So. Um, yeah, setting people up for success. That's what I try to do on a daily basis. Thank you. And thank you both. And this has been really fun to do together over the years. And as we prepared for this show, I said, you know, we could probably bring back some of our, our greatest hits from earlier in this series because since we only kind of talk about it once or twice a year, people may not remember some of the cool things that we've tried and 
that have worked here at The Motley Fool, even sometimes that have failed. So, we might have some blasts from the past, but Kara, we talked about how we really want to focus this on breaking the rules, how to do things uh, non-intuitively against the conventional wisdom. That's correct, and that's something I've learned from working here. I realized as I put this list together, I might be more of a rule follower, but having been here 13 years, I think that's been undone in a good way. Absolutely. And of course, that is the name of our podcast and the name of our investment approach, Breaking the Rules, challenging the ways that other people think about the stock market and picking stocks non-intuitively and that working. And I know we're doing that with our culture, Lee. For a few years in the last decade, we've been recognized nationally by Glassdoor as the best place to work among all small to medium-sized companies in the country. Yeah, we're very proud whenever we get that type of recognition. And I think a lot of it is around um, just not taking things for granted and trying things our own way, trying to create the environment that we want to be in that works best for us. And um, so, for any company out there, I think that's important. Know who you are. These things won't all work perfectly for you, but maybe they give you an idea or two of things um, that you could try. And that is indeed the focus. So, we're going to present 10 rule-breaking approaches to workplace culture, how we break the rules here at The Motley Fool. And I sure hope that at least three or eight of these seem relevant to you, whoever you are, wherever you are listening to us, and that you can put them into play in your life and make the world around you, especially in your workplace, better. All right, well, without further ado, we have our 10 tips. Lee and Kara have put these together over the last seven days. I'm fired up about this list. Let's get started with number one. So, that's me. I have the joy of kicking off today. And uh, it's a great phrase that Kara and I love. It's called, um, if you have to make it mandatory, then it's not compelling. (laughs) And we love to run everything that we're doing um, through this phrase. If you're a traditional HR person or manager out there in the world and you find a part of your job is chasing people down and trying to make them do things, Mm. it turns out that's not very fun. And you could blame them for not doing their homework. Or you could look at whatever you're trying to get them to do and think, why aren't they doing? It's probably because it's not compelling. So if Kara and I are out there in the world and we're trying to get people, let's say, to fill out performance appraisals, um, right? Or um, you have to submit this form and the people aren't doing it, probably you need to redo your process or system to make it something that they look forward to doing. So uh, we look for things that are compelling, not mandatory. And so, Karen Lee, can you give an example maybe of something that people felt like they had to do, maybe a place they needed to be or something they needed to do, and you remapped it? Performance appraisals is a great example of that. And uh, we've seen a lot of companies um, joining the bandwagon here to stop doing performance appraisals. Uh, it turns out no one likes to do them. Uh, the manager doesn't like it. The employee doesn't like it. <laughs> and those things are easy for us. Like They'll write songs about you in HR if you stop doing something that <laughs> nobody wants to do anyway and reinvent it in a new way that um, causes people to want to participate. So, yeah, they'll say things like, long live Dorothy, the Wicked Witch is dead. So, we're definitely looking to kill the Wicked Witch, even though, mm-hmm. as a Wicked fan, I also appreciate the Wicked <laughs> Witch. Another part of me loves the Wicked Witch. But, but yeah, so that's a great example. Maybe the best of all, because in almost every workplace, whether you're at a university or a, an early-stage startup or a long-time not-for-profit charity, probably somebody thinks we need to do performance appraisals. Could you just, before we move on to number two, could you briefly explain what we do now in terms of getting some appraisal of your performance? How does it actually work here at The Fool? Sure. So, we have a system that we call Signals, Kara and I, that we've developed um, over 
many years. It's uh, definitely not perfect yet, but we try to create touch points where people are having meaningful conversations. Those conversations are with their boss, uh, with their peers, and with a coach that they choose. And so instead of ratings and filling out forms, uh, we pushed more towards a meaningful conversation. All right, and looking down my list, I see number five is going to hail back to this one. I wanted to ask you a follow-up question about that or point out my own experience mm-hmm. as somebody who'd like feedback here at The Fool, but we're going to park that till number five and keep moving. So, what's number two? Uh, number two is people want to do great work. Um, and, you know, it sounds um, obvious, but really some of HR practices assume people want to do very little work. And and we found in our career share that's almost never true. Um, people want to do great work. And this has been proven by friend of the fool, Daniel Pink, in his book, Drive. Um, you don't need to create all kinds of crazy incentive plans to get people to just do work. Um, people come in and they're excited and they, they like being recognized. They like feeling like they're part of something. They're part of um, a higher purpose. Um, and so you look for that when you're recruiting. Um, and, and for us, we and again, very few people come to work wanting to take advantage. They want to come to work and do something great. Um, and it's our job, we feel, to tap into that. I was looking at a company studying it for stock research purposes recently, but I watched one of their videos and they're talking about how a lot of their employees are people who, if you look at their background outside of work, they're volunteering for things. Mm-hmm. And this particular company pointed that out as a hallmark or a strength uh, of its culture that it's typically attracting people who just raise their hand and volunteer for stuff. Does that also sound like something that would work well here at the Fool, probably at any workplace? That, that is very typical here. Uh, fools of talents and, and things that they do out in the world. They're committed. Uh, they're musicians. They're athletes. They're, um, they have many, many talents. We see them every year at our annual meeting, and we're always surprised by them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, we have some incredible dancers here at the Molly Fool. Oh, yes. say that. I think it's an interesting uh, maybe secret about a great place to work is a lot of people think it's about the perks or things like that. Mm -hmm. And in actuality, it is about the work, right? People want to work someplace that they believe in what they're doing and they want to work hard and they want to be challenged every day. If you can provide those things, uh, people are pretty stoked. Boy, that is a true bit of foolish wisdom. And thank you for underlining that one, Lee, because, yeah, as Kara just said, people want to do great work. And yet, you're right, so so often the the conversations about, about the perks, like, at our company, for years and years, you all have helped oversee this, we've done stuff like we don't count your vacation days, or you don't have to show up at 9 o'clock. I don't know if that's one of our future points. I can't remember that, but we'll get totally to that is. a little bit more. But, but the main point is that it, it's just about the nature of the work. It's not, it's not the perks. It's not that exciting to me that we, we don't count vacation days, but it sounds like a perk. It sounds attractive. Journalists will pick up on that and write about that as a hallmark of the Motley Fool culture, but really, it's doing that great work. All right, number three. Yeah, so you've teed me up perfectly. So number three is about our culture of trust. And uh, we do get a lot of uh, PR about not tracking vacation, uh, not tracking time off. I'm actually on a personal mission. You mentioned uh, the media. Uh, Often this article is written about unlimited vacation. Yes, that phrase. Yes, and so I am uh, (laughs) anti-unlimited. And I think what we do is we just trust people to manage their own time. It turns out if you do a really good job recruiting and you hire amazing people, uh, they can handle their own schedule. And of course, any um, hardworking, intelligent person will realize they can't take an unlimited amount of time off. At some point, you do need to do the work. Um, but we found that we don't need to manage that. We just simply trust people. Um, they own it. And um, that sort of freedom to manage your own time is a big deal here. 
Now, did we ever have a leave policy, Kara? Did we throw that away, something we had, or we've never had one, right? Never had one. And, and, and that makes it easier to break the rules, doesn't it? When you're not having to actually change the rules, you just made it that way at the start. Yeah, for sure. I will say that we've, we, Kara and I have each um, counseled many companies who've wanted to move to this. They have lots of questions. We've gotten on the phone with boards of directors. It's been such a big deal. And the feedback is always the same. Just do it. And then they call us and say, oh my gosh, that was easy. right?" So it's not that complicated just to stop tracking. So if I'm hearing you, and I'm in a workplace, and many of us are, where there is a leave policy, what's a positive step? I mean, you all are basically, among many other things, human resources professionals. You understand mm-hmm. how people think about work and how they approach you. What would be a, a constructive step that I could take to try to get my manager or even my boss or CEO to consider changing to a no-leave policy? I would try testing it out, see if they one department might test it out, um, find out how it goes. Uh, that's the first thing that's coming into my mind. Um, even I see companies step away from just kind of having um, leave instead of these are your sick days, these are your vacation days. This is if you had a doctor's appointment, you have to bring in a note. And so I think companies stepping away from that is a, at least one step in the right direction. And before we move on to number four, I think one of the truisms that makes a policy, or in this case, no policy like this work, is if there is a sense of trust in the workplace. And I know that that word underlines and runs underneath a lot of how we think about culture and a lot of the ways we break the rules. But you have to have, don't you? You have to default to trust and have trust just there in your workplace in order to say, hey, we don't need a leave policy. Well, the the rules and the policies in themselves create a culture that doesn't have trust, right? Mm -hmm. So the more policies and rules you have, the more you're saying to people, we don't trust you. I love to look at, um, I have two teenage boys, and I like to use their school as an example of life. And there's so many rules at school, and they definitely don't feel trusted um, to go to the bathroom or to uh, leave your locker unlocked, that sort of thing. I think we're seeing change in that in the world, but I find the more rules you have, the more you're sending a signal, I don't trust you. Mm, well put. All right, number four. Uh, number four is default to generous, uh, that it will pay off in the long run. This is kind of one of my favorites. It's something I've learned in my career here. Hopefully, I started out with, but it's built on more, it's been proven more and more. I was just talking to a fool today uh, saying, I'm so grateful that the fool gave me this opportunity or this flexibility or something. I really want to work harder for you. Um, and and I hear that almost every day. And it's funny because you don't even think about it now when you do it, but just making sure people feel like um, not only do we trust you, but we want to take care of you. Um, you're part of our family. And um, going in with a mindset that someone will be taking advantage of you or taking from you is really just going to put both parties on the defensive and, and it will denigrate the relationship. So for us, um, I hear a lot of defaulting to generous um, when I come back and, and check with my team, we kind of always even we check each other and say, "Hey, are we defaulting gen- to generous on this one?" Um, and you'll see those people will come back in the long term. The example I've heard elsewhere at Google, uh, Laszlo Box, friend of the pool, came to talk to us, and he said, um, "Former head of Google's yes, for, people sorry, and culture, former head of Google's people, people and culture." Um, they said uh, they offered a very very generous uh, maternity leave policy, which we matched, I believe. Um, and they said people don't have a child every year for a 
25-year career, it's it's usually a short amount of time to offer a generous parental leave policy, and then um, that person uh, has a great relationship with the company coming back. And so, I think we matched that. It, it was very philosophically aligned with how we did it. Okay, right. So, default to generous. And I have to say, in my life, the person that I think of as probably the most generous person that I know happens to be my brother Tom, who's the CEO of The Motley Fool. And so, I think it makes it easier to default to generous if, in fact, at the top of the organization, whoever it is, is a very generous person. How, how important is that? Let's give the guy a little love. You just added our secret. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So Tom is extremely generous. You know, yeah. one of the one of the great gestures over the years that I think I look back on with pride was during the really tough times in the Great Recession, two thousand eight nine. We froze. We stopped matching employees' contributions to four hundred one k. I remember Tom with the whole company and his leadership saying, "Hey." We need to do this just to keep control of our own finances. This is important for us as a company, so we can't do it. But then, Lee, I think, as we came out of it 2010, we announced not only are we going to unfreeze, but we're going to go back and recompensate you as if you had maxed out your match all the way through. We did that, right? Yes, including market returns. Right, which is that was really great. In fact, I think. That night, we were on ABC's Nightly News as an example of a company that had done something really special. So, I, I anyway, look back on that with pride, but that's about defaulting to generosity. Now, Kara, you mentioned um, Google's generous maternal leave policy, and, and we've matched it. I think a lot of people are wondering, well, what does a generous parental policy look like? So, how do we do it today at The Fool? Uh, I'm not sure what Google's is now, but ours is 16 weeks for either parent's parental leave. Um, and for us, um, we also added it starts when the baby comes home. Um, so sometimes we've had people with their babies in the NICU and they're there a little longer. So uh, yes. uh, we, we were able to stretch that out a little bit longer. And again, defaulting to generous, how much of those two, three weeks going to matter in the long term of the healthier family? That is a great example and a very important one for us here at The Fool. And I, I just wish we'd had that back when. Lee, when you and I were having <laughs> yes. kids, like you and I have been here 20 years or so, I don't remember that policy early days of the fool. Well, I think it's a, it's a, another good example of we're always learning and changing and growing. And there'll be some things that we do today that we're going to look back five years from now and be like, I can't believe we did it that way, right? And so um, we're always looking for, for places where uh, we need to reinvent things or reimagine what we're doing. One of our cultural traits, one of our values really here at the Molly Fool is topping it and just always looking to improve. Okay. Let's go to number five. People want feedback. I'm reading here on this carefully curated list that Kara and you have put together for us. People want feedback, Lee. Yeah, and so this is really about um, what we found is that feedback is for the individual. And so many companies out there are building feedback systems to fuel a performance management process or to somehow back into um, a compensation system or something like that. And so what we've done here is we've found that actually individuals really want feedback and they don't want to. Uh, to be um, linked to anything else. So, our feedback system is private. It's between the individual and their coach. They're the only ones that see the feedback. And so, what we found is in this um, little private bubble, people tend to give better feedback, more honest feedback, um, because they know it's not um, being shared around or doesn't have some um, uh, ancillary meaning that that um, can skew things. So we found that private moment where people can really get genuine feedback is so important, and so um, that's the way that we set our system up. And we talked about this, and I, I I referenced this when we were going through number one, which was if you have to make it mandatory, it's not compelling. This mm-hmm. is a great example of it, but. Yeah, that has been, as an employee of our company, that's been my experience, is that I'm invited 
to ask for feedback. No one is required to get feedback. But most people, it seems, what are the numbers roughly, Kara Lee? What percentage of our employees, when asked voluntarily, would you like feedback this go-round, will we'll, we'll ask for it? I believe it was 70%. Yeah, and we've also watched um, uh, in the early days, you could give anonymous feedback, and now, uh, and you have the option, anonymous or non-anonymous, and now it's 100% non-anonymous. So, we we really, we built that program trying to see, could we do something, like how many people in the world look forward to their feedback process at work? I think it's pretty low. And so, we get excited to say, hey, what if people actually looked forward to feedback and put their name on it? And so, those are two metrics that we chase. And uh, we feel like, hey, we've made something pretty compelling. You know, I feel like I want to summarize our first five points. We're going to do that in a sec. But, Kara, one more here on number five. People want feedback about our coaching system here at The Fool. Uh, yes. Well, um, in many organizations, your feedback goes to your boss. Um, so there can be a little bit of um, feeling of, not a feeling of safety there, feeling like you're going to have to send a report to someone's boss and that doesn't feel good. There's a power dynamic. So we have a whole system of volunteer peer coaches um, that meet with you and deliver the feedback. And then the feedback only goes to them. And so we found that that's helped people really just offer constructive things and helpful things. And again, going back to point two, people want to do great work. So they're sitting down with their coach and they're excited um, to, to read what and hear about how they can be better because they want to be better. They want to be doing great work. And that coach is there to help guide them, help them not over-focus on anything. And our coaches, these are people who are not necessarily professional coaches. Do we have a training session for coaches? I think we do that. Yes. But these are not HR coordinators at all. These are people from across the company. Yes, that's correct. Uh, We have 29 right now, so it's about 10% of our company. Um, They're people who are known as effective managers, people who are good leaders. They're good at the coaching part. Um, and so we, we meet with them every other month, I believe, and we take them through some kind of new framework they can use or um, any organizational challenges that we're seeing um, and deploy them out to be good listeners out in the world. All right, I'm going to call that halftime. And just before we bring out the marching band, Lee and Kara, could you just quickly summarize our five points in order so we can all kind of grasp them and start learning them, internalizing them? What was number one? Number one, compelling, not mandatory. Number two, people want to do great work. Uh, Number three, a culture of trust. Number four, default to generous. And number five, people want feedback. All right. And speaking of people wanting things, I can imagine that at least one of our listeners among Chris Hill's so-called dozens out there in Mm -hmm. Fullville, I'm sure at least one of them would like a little bit more information from either of you about some of the things we're talking about this week. So if I wanted to reach out and either learn more about the full culture or talk to one of you directly, maybe by email. Are you open to that, and how would they do that? Sure. Um, we're at uh, culture.full.com. We're hiring a lot, by the way. Um, and I'm on Twitter at TMFKara, or you can email me at kchambers.full.com. TMFKara, T-M-F-K-A-R-A. And uh, Kara Chambers at Fool.com. Kchambers. At Fool.com. And you can email me directly, leeb at fool.com. Because of our use of Slack, I actually don't get that much email anymore. So I'm happy to get an email at leeb at fool.com. All right. Well, again, this episode of Rule Breaker Investing is brought to you by the service that gave this podcast its name. That's right, Motley Fool. 
rule breakers. Are you ready to invest better, but you're not sure where to start? Well, Motley Fool rule breakers can help. Now, our average rule breakers recommendation as of April 2019 averages a gain of 163%. That's over the past 15 years. By comparison, the S&P 500 less than half of that, 71%. We're proud that The Economist called us quote, an ethical oasis in the financial industry, end quote. And if you're ready to take control of your financial future, then you're ready for Motley Fool Rule Breakers. And I've got a special URL for you to use. Just go to joinrb.fool.com to learn more. And for a limited time, my podcast listeners will get up to 67% off Rule Breakers. So just go to joinrb.fool.com. All right, it's second half. Now, a lot of the March Madness basketball games, and I think I watched pretty much all of them over the course of the last few weeks. Like, I sequester myself and watch <laughs> all the games. But a lot of them, you know, the second half was more exciting. After all, the end of the game and the final result <laughs> is determined not in the first half, but the second half. So I'm wondering, Lee and Kara, did you load it up? Have you saved the best for the second half, or did we kind of blow all our best ammo in those first five tips? I think you're asking me to choose my favorite children. I can't do that, David. (laughs) Okay. So, you you cannot commit to the idea that it gets better from here, but it might. Yes. Awesome. (laughs) Let's go to tip number six. What do you got? Uh, I really like this one. Uh, People work when and where they work best. And so, for us, the technical geek in me loves this one of... Technology is always changing. People are working from wherever and whenever at all hours. Um, and culture is changing. And so I work with our tech team to figure out what kind of tools uh, work best. So we're big Slack fans. We've recently um, become big Zoom fans, or we've put in Zoom, which is a video conferencing tool. Slack is instant messaging. And so there's a cultural change. I know. Um, Slightly before my time here, it was a culture of being here 18 hours a day, sometimes sleeping in the office. That was how the culture started. Um, I don't think those hours have toned down, um, and I know that from working with all of you. Uh, It's just more where you are. You could be in line at the DMV. You could be at your kid's basketball game. You could be be just uh, sitting outside on your patio. Uh, and so I think for us, we want to help fools work where and when they work best. And the best phrase I've heard about this is um, you need a cave in a commons, um, a, a place to kind of sit with others and talk and have meetings. And that can be done virtually, um, bounce ideas off each other. And you also need your cave to go in and do whatever it is you do, coding, picking stocks, um, analyzing data. So um, for us, we like to give people choices, and sometimes that's about how the office is designed, and sometimes that's about um, where you can work in the technology. So what I hear a lot of is there's no one correct way for how and where people work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly Zoom, which we've recently implemented here at The Fool, and Zoom is going to be an IPO somewhere here in 2019, and perhaps Slack will as well. It seems like we're finding all the companies before they IPO, and we're using their stuff, and we like their stuff, whatever we'll end up thinking of their stock. But how, how do you view something like Zoom in terms of affecting our culture? I think um, we did a, a 
research project last summer about kind of remote work. I got a lot of feedback in our surveys um, and from people I coach that it was a struggle for them to feel like they were an afterthought when they were calling into remote meetings. Um, Mm. If they were kind of maybe they're calling us from Germany or um, our and we also have an office in Colorado. So what that experience was like for them. So just um, I started calling other companies and asking what they did, Uh, working with our tech team, having them look at we had a, a hilarious meeting about conference room problems where. We had every conference room problem in that meeting um, in a very <laughs> foolish way. Like the sound would cut out. We could hear like whatever technology I won't name we were using before. Like everything broke during the meeting and our tech people just handled it so beautifully. And it, it released the tension. But I think for us, we, we ask fools like what, what's going on. Um, and that's a constant um, piece of feedback we're always going to get. Like, I would prefer the office have more quiet spaces. I want more meeting rooms. I want more of this. Um, I want an open space. I don't want an open space. And I think just giving a little, a few options to everybody and making it easier um, is, is a way we've done it. So that's been Zoom. And Slack is really, that is kind of has a 24-hour culture, too. One thing in Slack that has become true in the past, say, year is you can put your status on Slack, so where you are. Um, and we've been toying a little bit with different default statuses, like a set of headphones, like, I'm sorry, I'm in the zone, don't talk to me. Uh, <laughs> and there's another one I really like called low power mode, like, you might be able to get in touch with me, but I'm not going to put that spreadsheet together for you by the end of the day. So maybe, again, that person's kind of mostly on a day off, but you can reach them. Uh, and then there's fully unplugged, like uh, vacation. It's got a little palm tree next to it. So mm-hmm. Slack statuses help us kind of signal when we're when we're interrupting people, when we're not. So that's mm. been one of my favorite things. I'm curious, do you both think that if everybody had license to be wherever they wanted to be, would everybody be at home? I don't think so. Because we want to comment. Yeah, we need a commons. I, I mean, I, our I commons could be digital, right? In a sense, Slack is kind of like a digital commons. Mm-hmm. But we want to, don't we want a physical commons? I think we do. Yeah, I think you find that um, there's arguments on both sides mm-hmm. of that. And because of that, you want a little bit of both, right? So there's pros and cons of, of working at home and doing your individual work. And there's pros and cons of being distracted, maybe, in the office and so forth. And so. Um, I think we work here to try to see if we can't provide enough flexibility and autonomy for people to make their own choices on a daily basis, uh, which is going to work for them. And and some people will have that balance maybe swing one way or the other, um, but we haven't found too many people that want completely one direction or the other. Now, certainly some jobs, you kind of need to be in a certain place. Um, Right. Yeah, although I'd yes. say we're finding that less and less. I mean, if you're going to be our receptionist at the building, um, you probably need to be here. But um, I was meeting with a fool earlier today who I think a couple of years ago I would have said they absolutely need to be here. And we were both sort of laughing at, no, um, she's transitioned fairly well. And it's because of um, think Kara bringing Zoom to the company was a, is a big change and makes things uh, happen much easier. So, hey, technology has helped the world a lot. We're, we're in a better place as business people because of all the tools we have. And I, let's go to number seven, except that I do want to ask just one more thing about this. You know, some of our employees a few years ago, Kara, said, hey, love Alexandria. That said, a little expensive to live in the greater Washington, D.C. area. And there's this state, Colorado, which is a place <laughs> where at least one of them kind of needed to move for, for a spouse move. And so we decided, yeah, you, you can 
I guess you can go to Colorado. We said to a few of our employees, they opened up an office, and today we call it Fularado. And The Ascent, which I know a lot of our listeners have checked out, but if you haven't been to theascent.com and you're looking for a better bank rate or a better credit card these days, check out theascent.com. But that's all done by Fularado. So we kind of let a movement happen where people said, hey, we want to live a cheaper, maybe even arguably healthier place. Yeah, and I think uh, I think we got a little bit lucky there because yes. we just sort of went for it. Um, <laughs> I think what we're learning over time is um, the United States is a little bit more like Europe, maybe, um, where not every state is the same, and and uh, doing business in different states uh, has different costs and um, so forth. So I think we're getting smarter about that, but um, I like that sort of flexibility, giving people that other places that they could live. Um, I think this is something you've said for a long time, at least the 20 years I've worked here, David, is the uh, assuming all the best talent is right here in Alexandria, Virginia, uh, would be a mistake, right? And so finding ways to access talent, um, not just outside uh, uh, other parts of the United States, but all over the world, um, that's just good for business. Number seven. Uh, number seven. So I think what Karen and I have found is for the most part, people don't really like to be told what to do. Um, I think you, maybe you mentioned this earlier that people like to volunteer. People like to raise their hand. They like to make their own decisions about um, what they want to do. So uh, we've we've had a lot of success in in recent years of posting projects. And so if you have something um, uh, interesting that you need to get done, you haven't had time or you need some specific expertise, Mm -hmm. we've opened up some Slack channels, emails, this sort of thing where you can post opportunities and people can raise their hand. Um, It's a fascinating thing because you would think that uh, people who are A players who are really busy couldn't possibly find time to do anything else. But it turns out if it's something that they volunteered for, that they're passionate about, they will make the time and they'll do it well. All right, so right. So number 7, no one likes to be told what to do, and in particular, you know, just kind of posting projects and seeing who has some side of desk time and interest. And if they volunteered as Lee said, Kara, probably they're going to be committed to it if they kind of volunteered. Do you have an example of like a project recently that popped up? It's I'm realizing as I'm thinking about it, it's not so recent. It's it's a, a couple of years old, but it, same philosophy as we had an employee that was a techie and he had this real passion for fitness and wellness, and he said, I think this company should have a mm. wellness um, person. Uh, and so he started just teaching kind of CrossFit-like classes at night and, and talking to people and doing his day job, uh, and that eventually turned into a full-time job. But it was really, um, and he wound up moving away, and we, we did wind up saying, we do have a need for a full-time wellness person. We've had one ever since. Um, but I think that that's an example of somebody who said, um, this is something I'm doing on the side. I'm really passionate about it. I want to add to our culture. <laughs> Love that one. I mean, that's really how the Motley Fool got its wellness program started. Mm-hmm. And we we are, uh, I'd say, within the city, we've been called the fittest company in Washington D.C. In the state of Virginia. In I the believe. state of Virginia, most recently. And so, we, and we did how many push-ups last month? That's part of our contest. Two hundred and fifty-six thousand. That's incredible. I did. I did about seventy-five to hundred. I think for our company. Uh, me too. I did five thousand and one. <laughs> wow! Pretty stoked about that. That's great. Um, I mean, and, and I mean, we have uh, even more recent examples too. Our we find our member services team is particularly interested in this area because they have access to a lot of customer data and information, and they sort of get excited about things they're learning. And then we found them working on projects in other parts of the business where they can apply the knowledge that they're learning. Um, so we see a lot of people start in member services and move to other parts of the company. You bet. Number eight. 
And Marie, we want employees for life. This is the last job you'll ever have. And so I love this one. Um, we talk about fools kind of navigating their careers. Um, and one of the things our coaches do, and one of my favorite parts of my job, is helping people kind of navigate their different types of roles and ups and downs and twists and turns. Technology changes, people change. Um, the market changes, and so people are constantly moving around through posting projects or everything else. And and so, I've had this conversation like twice, or three times this week of someone saying, um, "If I have to do this for the long term, I think it's going to get old. I really want. Um, I see this as my next step in my career, but I don't see myself doing this forever." Um, and and that's a typical sign for fools is um, for a someone who's really good at their job is. Uh, so we always say when we have career development conversations, it's never about the type of person you are. It's about where are you now? Um, what's your situation? And and what opportunities are there for you next? Now, it, it certainly helps when you're growing. And not every organization out there is growing in the way that we are right now. I think we're adding about um, 25% to our workforce this year, which for The Motley Fool is a lot of growth. Um, we were a little bit more state over the last 10 years, so we've, we're kind of accelerating. Now, a lot of us are working at really big companies that might even be downsizing, or smaller charities, let's say, that have a stable workforce of 15 people that doesn't change much. So, it's probably true, Kara, that you kind of need to grow in order to have people stay with you and make that the last job they ever have. Yeah, and there's ways of getting scrappy about it too. I think our coaching was an example of that's a, a area of something people are interested in to be a coach, and so it's an opportunity they picked up at the side of their desk to learn to be a better mentor and leader, and that was that was a skill they needed when they eventually were leading a team. So I think that there's there's some ways you can navigate around that. So again, our ten tips this week: ten ways that the Motley Fool breaks the rules of workplace culture and how you can. Two and this one, number eight, seems almost the most contrary of all. When we talk about challenging conventional wisdom, Lee, isn't it the cliche these days that you know millennials are just going to come, they're going to work one or two years, and then have six different jobs in their first ten years? And who would actually want to go to work for a place at almost any age where that's like that's the last place you'd ever be? Supposedly, our culture doesn't work that way. Yeah, and it really changes the um, changes the discussion in a lot of fun ways. I think when you can have a really long term view, I think it aligns well with the way that we invest, right? And so, um, yeah, we're we're not day trading jobs here. We're we're thinking for the long term. Um, but you know, there's companies out there like LinkedIn that are are great companies, and but um, I think they find their focus is helping people move from job to job. Uh, we just approach it differently. We want you to come here and work here forever. And uh, Karen and I are here to help you try to navigate that. And uh, your living demonstrations. 13 and 20 years isn't forever, but I don't think you're leaving anytime soon. I hope, <laughs> I hope not. not. <laughs> so, Because um, we have to do the sixth volume of oh, this series yes, at some point uh, in the year or so ahead. But I mean, yeah, you're great living examples. And we do have, I think we punch above our weight class when it comes to being a 26 year old company with a surprisingly high percentage of people who've been here at least 10 plus years. All right, well, we got two more, numbers 9 and 10. And I know you're set up for the next one, Lee. What is number 9? So, number 9 is is really building on the previous two, and it's um, we are a project culture. And so, what does that mean? Uh, what it means is uh, we sort of joke internally that we are going to destroy your resume if you come to work <laughs> here. Um, and it's and it's because there's not a very clear like ladder to climb. We're going to move from assistant vice president to vice president to what have you. Um, instead, because we have this long term view of your career, uh, when you talk to fools, 
the question more is, what project are you working on? And we hope that people are like, oh, let me tell you about the project I'm on right now. And so we look for people to be on a project that they're passionate about. Um, uh, and as they move up in the organization, uh, what does move up mean? It means starting to define your own projects, starting to get a bigger budget, budget to do the things that you want to do, starting to get your own resources. So the language inside The Motley Fool is about um, you know, what big project are you on, what value are you creating, what difference are you making, as opposed to what you might see on a traditional resume. All right, so and I love the idea that we're destroying people's resumes because that means they'll never leave, right? <laughs> That's right, they can't. <laughs> and I, I guess you're saying that because you're you're implying that uh, you're just involved in a whole bunch of different projects over the course of time, and people can't read progression in your resume, and it's unclear exactly who you are and what you're doing at the company. Is that destroying someone's resume? Yeah, you're following your passion. <laughs> you're you're do, you're doing the things that you love as opposed to. Um, I think a lot of jobs where you're like, I have to, you know, you'll hear as a recruiter, why did why didn't you advance in these two years? You're like, it's been 18 months. I have to move to the next level. Uh, we just don't have that kind of pressure here. We want you to be happy and, and adding value. You know, every week I look through the glass and my friend Rick Engdahl, our producer, the producer of Rule Breaker Investing. I, Rick, I'm just curious. Would you say that we've destroyed your resume here at the company? Because you've done a lot of different things over your years here at The Fool. I've been here for almost 20 years now, and I cannot remember the last time I updated my resume. So if that counts as destroying it, it does not exist. So. Well, Rick, you've done brand work for us. You've, I know you've worked on a lot of projects. I know you're a producer today. You're also like our photographer around the fool. It seems like with a lot of new hires coming in this year, you're being called on to take good-looking shots of all of our employees. What don't you do here at the fool? Um, I don't say no, apparently. <laughs> Perfect. That whole thing about raising your hand for side of desk projects, I believe that's how this podcast started. Yeah, that's that's really true. That is actually true. All Motley Fool podcasts started largely because I think some combination of Chris Hill and maybe one or two other Steve Brodo slash Matt Greer, and a couple people said, hey, we should just start doing podcasts. And 10 years now ago, it started that way. And I just raised my hand a few years ago and said, I'd like to do a podcast. And Rick said, I'll produce it. And yeah. We are a project culture. Before we close with number 10, let me just ask, um, when you're a project culture, what does that imply about your structure? A lot of people have organizational charts, org charts, or things where it would be maybe hard to be a project culture if you're bound to um, boxes connected to each other on a piece of paper or a, a PowerPoint. So, how are we structured, and is there any implication, if I'm listening to us, can I follow our advice or not, based on the org chart that I work under? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to free yourself from some of those types of tools, and instead we go for, you need to still have some um, company goals, right? The company needs to provide some direction so people are moving in, in the right way. And surround yourself with maybe different types of tools, things like we use Trello here as, a, as an example of a great um, project management tool, but there's a lot of good ones out there. So, um, if you're a project culture, it turns out there's a whole industry of project management tools um, that that uh, that we use. And in fact, I think Kara and I, as HR professionals, are more drawn. Yes, we Kara smiled at me when I said HR professionals. <laughs> um, you know, we're more drawn toward project management tools, the things that maybe a Scrum master or traditional um, project manager would use, as opposed to some of the more traditional HR tools. Mm. And Trello, you mentioned yet another one of those tools that we adopted early on. These days, it's owned by Atlassian, which I know some of our listeners as Rule Breaker members will know has been a very successful stock pick for Motley Fool Rule Breakers. So, Atlassian, the Australian-based company, today owns Trello and does a lot of good work in this world, including helping investors make money over time. All right. Well, Kara, bring it all home for us. Number 10. 
Number 10 is uh, internal culture carriers that don't have to be HR. So it's a lot about communication. There's no rules we have about who can send a note to the whole company. So, for instance, we have a colleague that is not in HR, and he will host a horror movie marathon. Um, throughout the month of October, the month of every October, year, a different is, movie every single day. It is the only way I consume a horror movie is in a conference room. <laughs> um, but this is a business intelligence analyst. It's not sanctioned by HR. It's announced across the company. It's um, And we reward that. We want people to be culture carriers. It's kind of leadership here. So um, we do not have rules about who's allowed to invite the whole company to a thing. Um, if it is your passion co- project yes a cookie bake-off and customer service gummy uh, gummy bear there's a gummy tasting. bear there's a sandwich club where they just debate on whether things a sandwich i think <laughs> um and so they also provided waffle bowls the other day. club sandwich it does more than just debate yeah, yes. yeah. Waffle they consume waffle bowls, right? And and I believe the consensus was a waffle bowl is a sandwich, and so we can leave that to the internet to decide. <laughs> um, so for us, I think that there's again that sense of community is also online, as you see at the fool. Um, but we don't try and um, be the police over that. I so again, here very rule breaking. I, I can imagine it wouldn't necessarily work for every workplace, but the idea that anyone can post any communication anywhere any time. That is very capital F foolish. Pretty big night last night. One of our (laughs) fools who is a big uh, University of Virginia fan and uh, his team won and he posted to the entire company his joy. And Mm -hmm. I think we all just uh, emojied happy and we were stoked (laughs) for him. I was excited to share in his joy. Yeah, I think he selfied from the stadium in Minneapolis himself. It was a great. And this is, of course, taped on Tuesday afternoons, which we tend to do on Rule Breaker Investing. So you're hearing this on Wednesday or later in the week. But we're referring to the college basketball national championship game won by the University of Virginia, not so far away from Alexandria in Charlottesville, Virginia. Congratulations to all our Wahoo Wah friends. All right, there you have it. 10 rule-breaking culture tips for you from all of us here at Fool HQ. Kara and Lee, I want to thank you again, and I'd love it if you could just again summarize 6 to 10 in order. Kara, what was 6? Number 6 is people work when and where they work best. Uh, Number 7, no one likes to be told what to do. Number 8, we want employees for life. Uh, Number 9, we're a project culture. Number 10, anyone can communicate anywhere, anytime. All right, and there you have it. And, you know, I, I just want to reflect at the end of this time. First of all, thank you very much, Karen Lee, for being with us and sharing all of the wisdom that you've acquired through real actions taken to build our culture. It doesn't always work either. We can do that maybe next year, like the 10 things that failed, or we'll, we'll, we'll see. But, but you have learned so much, and to share it out through this podcast is our pleasure to do for all of you here, Volume 5 of Company Culture Tips, this series. And I wanted to close with this thought. Uh, I, I let off with it a little bit, didn't speak to it much this week, but in addition to trying to make your workplace better, all of us as investors are investing in companies that have cultures in their workplaces. And one of the edges that I think that we've gained as investors here at The Motley Fool, all of us, everybody who picks stocks or analyzes them, is we think a lot about what it would be like to work at that company, whose stock we're thinking of picking. Because after all, when you are invested, Lee, you spoke so well to how long-term-minded we are with our culture here. We're also, as you know, long-term-minded 
with our money and with our advice for you. And if you think about holding a stock for 10 plus years, chances are the CEO that was there at the start may not be there anymore. The products or services probably have changed. The industry itself will have changed. And so you can only imagine all of the changes that you're going to take on as an investor, as somebody by definition, acting for the long term. But really, the thing that stands strongest, that runs underneath, to me, all of these companies are their cultures. And those things are built up over time. They're slower to change. And so, if you really think about it, as an investor, I think you're buying a culture as much as any other thing you think you're buying when you buy a share of stock. So, think about that. All right. Coming up next week, we're going to be reviewing two five-stock samplers. I'm going to have a few friends joining me as analysts. We're going to look back at five stocks I own that you should too, and five stocks for April the Giraffe. So these five-stock samplers picked a year or two ago this month, and we'll review them on next week's show. In the meantime, fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.